Genesis 43 tonight, if you want to take your Bibles there. The background on my cell phone is a picture that was taken of my family. Last year, they were out. He, Pastor Jet preached a youth camp for us, and they were out. And so we took a, a picture of the family there in our church. And so uh, my wife, myself, our two children, their spouses, and our nine grandchildren. It's what a blessing. So I put it on my cell phone as a background screen. And the problem is the screen's narrow. <clears throat> and so I only see a very limited part of the picture. I can see my wife, myself, our daughter Erin, and three of the nine grandchildren. I can see Emma, Elijah, and Jack. I can see all the people in the middle of the picture. And I can't see my son Ryan. I can't see my son-in-law, Pastor Jet, my daughter-in-law, Mindy, and six of my grandkids. I can't see Olivia and Audrey and Caitlin and Lacey and Jason and Ethan. So I have this very limited view of my family on my phone. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I can see the ones in the middle. I can't see the ones on the left. I can't see the ones on the right, just the middle of the picture. Now there's a story here in the life of Jacob whom God named Israel. And all he could see was a very narrow part of the whole picture. Yeah. Now he, like us, don't have, he didn't have the ability to see the entire picture. And he made decisions based upon what he saw, really not based on faith. Faith is dependence upon God. Well, the God who sees everything. Faith is dependence upon the God who sees the whole picture. An interesting fact about the life of Jacob is that the only thing recorded about him being a man of faith in Hebrews 11 is about when he was dying, he blessed the two sons of Joseph. I would say to you, based upon that, when we get here to Genesis 43, we can somewhat assume that he's really not living by faith. He saw the narrow part of the picture. If you're able, would you join me by standing for the reading of the word of God here tonight? Genesis chapter 43, I'll begin reading in verse number one. <clears throat> The Bible says, and the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, ye shall not see my face except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down. And Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we'll arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely 
now we had returned the second time. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the, of, in the land of your, in your vessels and carry down the man a little present, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. And take double money in your hand. And the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that ye may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. You may be seated. To give a small account of the story previous to this, I'm, I know you have gone through this here recently, but Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, had been sold by his brothers into slavery, into Egypt. They hated him for being their father's favorite. So his brothers came up with a story to tell their father. And uh, they, they told him that they, they brought his coat back and had slain an animal and put the blood on the coat and brought it back and showed it to the father to let the father assume, let Jacob assume that his son had been killed by an animal. We know that Joseph was sold, taken down into Egypt, sold there into the house of Potiphar. And there God blessed him. God blessed Potiphar. Uh, but Potiphar had this issue in his life. He had a wife, right? And that, it, she was an issue. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, you know, uh, when, when she made advances towards him, he refused her advances and she got angry and lied and said he assaulted her. So he ends up in prison. And by the way, he, God blessed him there. He was made head of the prisoners. There he encountered a couple of imprisoned servants of Pharaoh. They each one night had a dream and Joseph, through the Lord's enabling, uh, interpreted these dreams. And it happened just like he said it would happen. In three days, the butler was restored to his position and the baker was killed. Joseph asked the butler, he said, when you're restored, remember me to Pharaoh. He knew he was there in prison unjustly. Sure enough, the butler forgot about him. Eventually, the butler remembered Joseph after Pharaoh himself had a dream and there was no one that could interpret it. Joseph was brought out of prison to interpret the dream. He told Pharaoh, he said, you know, God's letting you understand there's gonna be seven years of plenty and God's gonna abundantly bless, but that's gonna be followed by seven years of famine, a famine that's so great, the years of plenty will not be remembered. So he counseled Pharaoh to store food in those first seven years to be prepared for the seven years of famine. And Joseph got promoted to second in command in Egypt. I mean, we all love this story. It is a wonderful story. So here Joseph, the slave and the prisoner, is now second in command in Egypt. And so he stored, he took those seven years of plenty and stored food for his nation, for his country, and certainly God was using that. Meanwhile, his fathers and his brothers were still living back in Canaan, and they too were facing the famine. So at some point, Jacob sent his 10 older sons down into Egypt to buy food for the family. When they came into Egypt, the man they had to deal with for the food was none other than, well, their brother, Joseph. The problem is they didn't know Joseph. Joseph was speaking to them in Egyptians through an interpreter. 
And, but he knew them. He knew who they were. And, uh, and so he told them, he said, I believe you are spies to come see the land, come see what's going on in Egypt. So they had told their story. He had gotten it out of them that there were 12 brothers and that one was still at home and one was not. Can you imagine that moment? And we have another brother who's dead. And he's standing there going, yeah, he's not dead, right? And uh, he's right there in front of him. And uh, Joseph finally told them that what they had to do is they had to leave one of their brothers there in prison. They had to go home and bring the youngest brother back and uh, to prove they were not spies. That's what happened. Simeon was left there in prison. And on the way back, one of the brothers opened up his sack that was filled with corn and saw the money he had brought to pay for it was in the sack. Well, their thought was, we have been set up. We have been set up. They were very, very fearful. And so when they got home, they told their father what had happened, and he hit the roof. You know, only like a father can. I mean, he hit the roof. He was upset. He was angry. And he refused to let Benjamin go down with him. And so basically they did nothing. They just let Simeon rot in prison. Reuben even promised his dad. This is so weird. Reuben even promised his dad, hey, listen, if we don't bring him back, you can kill my two sons. Yeah, that's going to make me feel better. My son, you know, is dead, so let's kill two of my grandsons. That'll make me feel a lot better. <clears throat> but Jacob didn't budge, obviously. So there is where the story sat. But then we get to chapter 43, where it's obvious that Jacob can only see a narrow part of the picture. So he came to the place where he realized there was nothing else that he could do other than to allow his eldest sons to return and take Benjamin with them. He's not happy about it at all, but he had to let them go. It's all he can see. The famine is going on. He has nothing else that he can do. There's a lot of fear in this story. There's this verse in the Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 25, that says this, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be Safe. The choir sang about those storms, right? But, you know, you don't really understand the master of the wind until you learn to trust him in those storms. It can be so much different when we put our trust in the Lord. Be, well, he sees the whole picture. He sees the entire picture. So in this chapter, we find the famine continuing on. In fact... It's interesting to note that it hasn't even been going on for two years yet, and it's so bad. And the seven years of plenty are far away in the rearview mirror. Nobody's remembering the plenty. All they are seeing now is the lack. And uh, it had already been bad enough that Jacob has once already sent his sons down to buy corn, buy what they needed. And again, you know... Now it's time they need more corn, right? All within the, two, the first two years of a seven-year famine. So he tells them to go buy a little food. Go again and buy food for us. I wonder why he asked for a little food. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thought to me. I was just thinking about that. Even today, I was reading it and it just kind of hit me again. Why, why would he say go buy a little food? I mean, we're Baptist. We'd say, hey, man, go down there and get as much as you can. 
and, uh, but he's asking for a little food. I don't know if he thinks that, you know, the famine's about to be over. Two years is a long time for a famine. He maybe thinks it's about to be over, whatever, but for some reason, that's what he asked for. He had no insight from God about the situation, none whatsoever. And uh, since he refused to let Benjamin go in no uncertain terms, Joseph, Judah said, Father, we are not going down there unless we take Benjamin. The man told us, don't come back unless our brother is with us. You'll not, can't, you can't see my face unless you bring your brother. So he told his father, if you'll send our brother with us, we will go down we will buy the food. If not, we're not going down. Jacob, again, who's Israel, went back to his old complaint. Why did you tell him you had a brother? You know, let's just be honest. As parents, sometimes we ask the dumbest questions. You know, I mean, really. Why did you tell him you had a brother? Like, like they were going to know that he was going to say what he did, right? And uh, you know, just sometimes, parents, just step back and listen to the questions you've asked and you realize sometimes we ask dumb questions. Why did you do that? You know, I don't know why I burned the house down. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> so their answer was, he straightly asked our state, our kindred, saying, our, in asking us, is our father yet alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered him according to the tenor of those words. That's what they explained. So this time, though, Judah steps up to be a surety for Benjamin. He basically says, Dad, if you'll send him down, I promise you I'll bring him back. And if not, I will bear the responsibility forever. I'll be the surety for him. Then he reminded his father they had already unnecessarily delayed what was going on. And, uh, you know, Dad, we would be back home now if we hadn't delayed. He reminded him of it. So Jacob resolves to let them go. He resolves to let them go back down with Benjamin. And, uh, but he said, so if it must be, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present. I just thought about it. You know, a famine's going on. The best fruits of the land, I don't know what, what it is, but probably be pretty sad. But anyway, take double money in your hand and, and uh, take the money that was in the sacks before and all of that and, and things and go down. And so anyway, that's what he's telling them to do. Then take your brother, arise and go to the man. But listen to what he says there. We read there in verse 14. And God Almighty give mercy before the man that he may send your other brother and Benjamin back. And then this sad refrain. If I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved, bereaved, deprived of my children. He really doesn't sound too hopeful, does he? You know, he's not praying to God. He's speaking about God to his sons. Sometimes as Christians, we're really good at speaking about God, but not speaking to God. Speaking to God's what he should have been doing. Again, the fear of man bringeth a snare. It's a trap. You know, the f fear is a trap that keeps you trapped in fear. It's amazing how that happens. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. There's some characteristics of fear here that I see. Sometimes our decisions in life are driven by the fear we gain from past bad decisions. If you couple that with only being able to see a narrow part of the picture, uh, because we're not trusting in the Lord, it can be bad. So I want us to consider, just tonight, we're going to look at this. We're going to consider the view that Jacob had and then the view that God had. The view that Jacob had, which would represent us, 
and the view that God has. So let's talk about Jacob's view here for a little bit. Uh, there is a lot in his limited view. This is the way he see, sees things. First of all, in his view, his favorite son, Joseph, is dead. At least he believed his was. That was his, he was. That was his view. He lived in the constant reminder of what he had done that day and sending his son out and, and believing then and regretting for sending his son out where he was killed. That was what he believed. That was what was in his view. Then there was the famine. Man wants to provide for his family so bad he has, he's had to send his sons to Egypt to buy food. He didn't have insight into the years of plenty where he really should have been you know, putting aside and, and storing things in case those bad days come, right? Like a lot of people do today with their money, you know. You get a little extra money and it's like, wow, this is the way it's going to be forever. And uh, not for, and forgetting that one of these days, a bad day's coming, right? All right. Sometimes Baptists are uh, not real good with finances. I don't know why. You know, like <clears throat> every day it's going to be always good. We're always going to have enough and... And things, and when we have plenty, we should store up for those days we won't have plenty, right? Yeah, right? And we should learn to do that somewhat. I don't know why I said that's not even my notes, but anyway, and maybe I'm saying it for myself, but anyway, I have to remind myself. But so there's the famine. There was no preparation for that famine. And so that's his view. On top of losing Joseph, on top of the famine taking place, now his eldest son Simeon is in custody in Egypt. His sons had been taken as spies. He was told that Simeon would stay in custody until Brent Benjamin was brought down to Egypt. So with the loss of Joseph, the famine, Simeon in prison, now he sees the possibility of losing Benjamin in addition to Joseph and Simeon. His heart is so broken he can't bear the thought of this. He would rather leave Simeon in custody rather than risk losing Benjamin. Now, first of all, I see a lot of misplaced love in the life of Jacob, don't you? Yeah. A lot of misplaced love. I think we could go into that story and see that a lot. But I see a man operating on fear because his view is limited. His view is limited. And again, in his view, there's this famine. It's not gone away. It's getting worse. They're out of food again. So based on this, he's a man living in fear. He put off undoubtedly, undoubtedly what would come up again because of fear. Really, he's put it off. Simeon is in prison. He's got to send Benjamin down to get Simeon out. But he's put it off because of fear. He should have immediately sent Benjamin with the others, but he put it off. Putting things off because of fear, well, usually doesn't make him go away. Have you noticed that? Jacob settled for living with one son in custody rather than risk losing another son. Again, a decision totally made in fear. He sees the possibility of more hurt. I would say this, he is so sensitive in his hurt, the thought of any more he cannot take. Sometimes people get that way. The thought of any more they cannot take. But we should remind ourselves, should we not Christians, Hey, they didn't have the New Testament back then. We do. We have this verse in 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We should understand that. We should know. 
that we can absolutely do this. So in this fear, when he decided he had to send Benjamin, he believed, he believed he needed to do what he could to control the situation. He's relying upon his resources and ingenuity, which we are tending to do in our lives. He had them take the money that had been in the sack before. He had them take double money for what they would buy this time. He had them take the best of the fruits You know, carry down a present, a little balm. Carry a little honey and spices and myrrh and nuts and almonds. The question is, where is the evidence of his trust in God? We see evidence of his fearfulness, but we fail to see evidence of him trusting in God, of him stopping to pray, of him seeking the Lord's help of him putting it into the hands of God and then doing what he can do. You know, often as Christians, we're willing to sing, trust and obey. You know, we're willing to talk about trusting God with all of our hearts, well, as long as things are going good. Right? It's easy to sing he's the master of the wind when the wind isn't contrary. You know? And But when difficulties come, we reveal who we really trust in, who we go back to ourselves often. Often it's us that we're trusting in. And then we wonder why we are so fearful. Hey, because we can only see this much of the picture. We can only see this much of the picture. Because our view is limited when we're trusting in ourselves, that's about as good as it gets which is really sad for us as Christians. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We're given this wonderful right as a child of God to come boldly into the presence of Almighty God to find grace to help in a time of need. I'm not just throwing out some words. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need prayer we transcend from our limited view to God's view we go from the finite to the infinite in prayer it's amazing but when we trust in ourselves instead of the Lord we forfeit this great help the songwriter William Walford a blind man who had to depend on God for his view said oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do we understand prayer is not a ritual? It's a relationship. Prayer is us in our limited view talking to the one who sees it all, who understands it all. Getting communication with God. Man's view is so limited best. We need help. We need the Lord. Man has this limited view, but God's view is unlimited. Here in this story, God saw the whole picture. I love it. He knew the beginning from the end. He knew the middle, and he still saw the whole picture. He knew what came before, Genesis 43, and he knew what was coming after Genesis 43. I mean, really, isn't this one of our favorite Bible stories He knew what was coming after. And so often we read this 
knowing what's coming and we forget to realize and they're in the middle of it, they don't know what's coming. But God knew. You see, God had made a promise to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, God says this, now the Lord, the Bible says this, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. God had made that promise. God would make of Abram a great nation. Great means large and a powerful nation. That means the descendants of Abraham were going to have a lot of descendants. We pay attention to the fact that God said this, I will make of thee a great nation. Do you think God was unaware of the obstacles that would come in a few generations when God made that promise? Was God unprepared for the troubles that Jacob faced? Was this promise to Abraham something God could not keep? God is planning on using Egypt as a part of his plan. God has this plan going on. It is there in Egypt that the population of Israel is going to explode. In fact, even when Pharaoh tried to slow down their productivity with extra hard labor, they produced more children. I love it. Exodus 1.12, but the more they afflicted him, the more they multiplied and grew and, they were, grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. I mean, he couldn't stop them, man. God just blessed them, right? And uh, God is using the works of men to work his good. We know this, right? We know the end of the story in Genesis 50 and verse 20, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Only a mighty God can do this. All the bad that happened to Joseph was being used of God. And by the way, all the bad that was happening to Jacob was being used of God. By the way, let me remind you, we sometimes mess up in Romans 8, 28. And we, talk, we look at Romans 8, 28, and we think, well, God makes a bunch of bad things happen so he can bring good out of them. No. God takes the bad things, and God fits them into his plan to make good things. And that's exactly what's happening. God didn't make his brothers sell him into slavery. God didn't make all these bad things happen, but God said, well, I can use it to accomplish my plan. That's the good thing in our lives. We have to realize when bad things happen, and they are going to happen because we live in a sinful world. It's our God who is mighty and powerful and can take those things and, well, make good things out of them. That's just the way our God is. And uh, somebody might say, well, all of this is true with Jacob, but all of this was still future for Jacob. Right? But do you understand and remind yourself ever that God knows what tomorrow's like today? Isaiah 40, 46, 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my 
pleasure. Hey, listen, God knows what tomorrow holds. God knows what's going on. God knows where he's going with these things. And God is going to use the experience of Egypt to let people know he is the Lord. The choir was singing. I thought that was interesting. The choir was singing, I know the master of the wind. Well, God was going to use these things in Egypt to let people know he's God. He did with the Egyptians. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I think this is interesting. In Exodus 14, 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall not follow after them and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his, all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. In verse 18 of that chapter, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. God was going to use the descendants of Abraham to let the Egyptians know that he was Lord. Pretty awesome. God was going to let the Israelites know. I mean, really, they developed in, in Egypt there. He was going to do some things to let them know. Back in Exodus 6, there's some wonderful things said there. It says, beginning verse 1, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he shall let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. By my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant wherein for sand of the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And notice what he says. And I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it unto Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it to you for an heritage I am the Lord God had this plan all along he wanted them to know he was the Lord I submit to you it's not in the good times that we discover he's the Lord. It's in the difficulties. We discover that he is the Lord. It's amazing how God works. All along, all along, God has his eyes on the entire picture. While our view is so limited, the place where we are, <laughs> you know, our, we're so limited, but God is not in his view. When we trust him, we're trusting the one who can see the beginning, the end, and all the middle. How much better life would have been for Jacob during this time if his trust had been in the Lord and not in himself. Would that have made bad things not happen? No, he still had to experience some things. But you know what's amazing when we can learn to put our trust in God. Again, it says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. When we only see the narrow part of the picture, we can become very fearful. A lot of Christians live very fearful lives. And when we do, you know who we trust? Not the Lord. We end up trusting in ourselves. And we start this cycle of over and over again, making decisions based on that limited view, not getting insight from God and, and trying to understand things. 
When we trust God, we're relying upon the one who sees the whole picture. No wonder these verses are so important to us. We say them, we quote them from time to time, but do we really believe this? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Can I ask you this? What might be the biggest evidence of someone trusting God? What might be the biggest evidence? I would say it's obeying. Trust and obey. When we trust God, we obey God. We obey God. I like what Jan, John Samus wrote. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We have to trust and obey. When we get fearful, our obedience, boy, there's some problems there. We start doing what we think needs to be done instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to do today what I know God wants me to do. I'm going to obey God in all that I know God wants me to do and doing the things that are right. Let me close with this personal illustration. I didn't get permission for this, so I'll have to deal with this after I'm done. But anyway, when Olivia and Audrey were very young, we were in a Chick-fil-A. I believe it was in Texas. And there was a play structure for the kids. It was pretty difficult for them to climb up. It was kind of maybe for kids who were a little bit older than they were at the time. But my grandchildren, you know, they're overachievers. And, uh, and so Olivia got up there pretty good. Audrey struggled, but she was determined. And she got up in that play structure. And there was a lot of things up there for them to do. There were some other kids up there and stuff like that. I'm not really rem remembering all that happened, but at some point something happened and Olivia came down. There was a slide. You could slide down and you're out of the structure immediately. Something happened and it became very fearful up there and Audrey was very afraid and she needed to get down now. So I went over there and said, Audrey, I'm trying to get her to, if she goes, go right over here, there's a slide. Audrey, she wouldn't listen to me. Audrey, Kind of does that. No, I'm just, <laughs> anyway, Audrey, she wouldn't listen. You know what she did? She went back to what she knew. She knew how she got up in there, right? And that's exactly what she did. She went down. And I'm telling you, she kind of had to bang down and fall down and everything else to get down out of there when there was a really simple way. She wouldn't listen to what I was saying. I could see a way out. But in her fear, and she was very young, and I wasn't around all the time for her to trust me. It wasn't like her dad was telling her, right? I mean, I get it. I understand that. But she found the hard way down. That's the way we are so often as Christians. God's saying, trust me. Listen. Listen to me. I'll give you the direction. You follow my voice. Obey me. Well, it sure is a whole lot better when we get into trouble if we're just trusting God, listening to his voice, and doing what he wants. You know why? Well, because he can see the whole picture. Amen. Right. We, we got this narrow view, and that's the way it should be because we're not God. 
We need to learn to trust him, hear his voice, and obey him. And it's amazing how different it can be when we go through those storms. Are you fearful? Are the evidences showing up in your life that you're living that way? That you're just seeing the narrow, you're not understanding God has a bigger plan? I mean, we need to just go back and say, Lord, forgive us and put our trust in him. Listen to his voice and obey what he has for us. Let's have our heads bowed tonight as we prepare for our time of invitation.